Part 3, Chapters 19 and 20 of Democracy in America, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Democracy in America, Volume 2, by Alexis de Tocqueville, translated by Henry Reeve, Part 3, Chapter 19. Why so many ambitious men and so little lofty ambition are to be found in the United States. The first thing which strikes a traveler in the United States is the innumerable multitude of those who seek to throw off their original condition, and the second is the rarity of lofty ambition to be observed in the midst of the universally ambitious stir of society. No Americans are devoid of a yearning desire to rise, but hardly any appear to entertain hopes of great magnitude or to drive at very lofty aims. All are constantly seeking to acquire property, power, and reputation. Few contemplate these things upon a great scale and this is the more surprising as nothing is to be discerned in the manners or laws of america to limit desire or to prevent it from spreading its impulses in every direction it seems difficult to attribute this singular state of things to the equality of social conditions for at the instant when that same equality was established in france the flight of ambition became unbounded Nevertheless, I think that the principal cause which may be assigned to this fact is to be found in the social condition and democratic manners of the Americans. All revolutions enlarge the ambition of men. This proposition is more peculiarly true of those revolutions which overthrow an aristocracy. When the former barriers which kept back the multitude from fame and power are suddenly thrown down, a violent and universal rise takes place towards that eminence so long coveted and at length to be enjoyed. In this first burst of triumph nothing seems impossible to anyone. Not only are desires boundless, but the power of satisfying them seems almost boundless too. Amidst the general and sudden renewal of laws and customs, in this vast confusion of all men and all ordinances, the various members of the community rise and sink again with excessive rapidity, and power passes so quickly from hand to hand that none need despair of catching it in turn. It must be recollected, moreover, that the people who destroy an aristocracy have lived under its laws, they have witnessed its splendor and they have unconsciously imbibed the feelings and notions which it entertained. Thus at the moment when an aristocracy is, dis is dissolved, its spirit still pervades the mass of the community, and its tendencies are retained long after it has been defeated. Ambition is therefore always extremely great as long as a democratic revolution lasts and it will remain so for some time after the revolution is consummated. The reminiscence of the extraordinary events which men have witnessed 
is not obliterated from their memory in a day. The passions which a revolution has roused do not disappear at its close. A sense of instability remains in the midst of re-established order. A notion of easy success survives the strange vicissitudes which gave it birth. Desires still remain extremely enlarged when the means of satisfying them are diminished day by day. The taste for large fortunes subsists, though large fortunes are rare, and on every side we trace the ravages of inordinate and hapless ambition kindled in hearts which they consume in secret and in vain. At length, however, the last vestiges of the struggle are effaced. The remains of aristocracy completely disappear. The great events by which its fall was attended are forgotten. Peace succeeds to war, and the sway of order is restored in the new realm. Desires are again adapted to the means by which they may be fulfilled. The wants, the opinions, and the feelings of men cohere once more. The level of the community is permanently determined and democratic society established. A democratic nation arrived at this permanent and regular state of things will present a very different spectacle from that which we have just described. And we may readily conclude that if ambition becomes great whilst the conditions of society are growing equal, it loses that quality when they have grown so. As wealth is subdivided and knowledge diffused, no one is entirely destitute of education or of property, the privileges and disqualifications of caste being abolished, and men having shattered the bonds which held them fixed. The notion of advancement suggests itself to every mind, the desire to rise swells in every heart, and all men want to mount above their station, ambition is the universal feeling. But if the equality of conditions gives some resources to all the members of the community, it also prevents any of them from having resources of great extent, which necessarily circumscribes their desires within somewhat narrow limits. Thus amongst democratic nations ambition is ardent and continual, but its aim is not habitually lofty and life is generally spent in eagerly coveting small objects which are within reach. What chiefly diverts the men of democracies from lofty ambition is not the scantiness of their fortunes, but the vehemence of the exertions they daily make to improve them. They strain their faculties to the utmost to achieve paltry results, and this cannot fail speedily to limit their discernment and to circumscribe their powers. They might be much poorer and still be greater. The small number of opulent citizens who are to be found amidst a democracy do not constitute an exception to this rule. A man who raises himself by degrees to wealth and power contracts in the course of this protracted labor habits of prudence and restraint which he cannot afterwards shake off. A man cannot enlarge his mind as he would his house. The same observation is applicable to the sons of such a man. They are born, if it is true, in a lofty position, but their parents were humble. 
they have grown up amidst feelings and notions which they cannot afterwards easily get rid of and it may be presumed that they will inherit the propensities of their father as well as his wealth it may happen on the contrary that the poorest scion of a powerful aristocracy may display vast ambition because the traditional opinions of his race and the general spirit of his order still buoy him up for some time above his fortune another thing which prevents the men of democratic periods from easily indulging in the pursuit of lofty objects is the lapse of time which they foresee must take place before they can be ready to approach them it is a great advantage says pascal to be a man of quality since it brings one man as forward at eighteen or twenty as another man would be at fifty which is a clear gain of thirty years those thirty years are commonly wanting to the ambitious characters of democracies the principle of equality which allows every man to arrive at everything prevents all men from rapid advancement in a democratic society as well as elsewhere there are only a certain number of great fortunes to be made and as the paths which lead to them are indiscriminately open to all the progress of all must necessarily be slackened as the candidates appear to be nearly alike and as it is difficult to make a selection without infringing the principle of equality which is the supreme law of democratic societies the first idea which suggests itself is to make them all advance at the same rate and submit to the same probation thus in proportion as men become more alike and the principle of equality is more peaceably and deeply infused into the institutions and manners of the country the rules of advancement become more inflexible advancement itself slower the difficulty of arriving quickly at a certain height far greater from hatred of privilege and from the embarrassment of choosing all men are at least constrained whatever may be their standard to pass the same ordeal all are indiscriminately subjected to a multitude of petty preliminary exercises in which their youth is wasted and their imagination quenched so that they despair of ever fully attaining what is held out to them and when at length they are in a condition to perform any extraordinary acts the taste for such things has forsaken them in china where the equality of conditions is exceedingly great and very ancient no man passes from one public office to another without undergoing a probationary trial this probation occurs afresh at every stage of the of his career and the notion is now so rooted in the manners of the people that i remember to have read a chinese novel in which the hero after numberless crosses succeeds at length in touching the heart of his mistress by taking honors a lofty ambition breathes with difficulty in such an atmosphere the remark i apply to politics extends to everything equality everywhere produces the same effects 
where the laws of a country do not regulate and retard the advancement of men by positive enactment competition attains the same end in a well-established democratic community great and rapid elevation is therefore rare it forms an exception to the common rule and it is the singularity of such occurrences that makes men forget how rarely they happen men living in democracies ultimately discover these things they found find out at least that the laws of their country open a boundless field of action before them but that no one can hope to hasten across it between them and the final object of their desires they perceive a multitude of small intermediate impediments which must be slowly surmounted this prospect wearies and discourages their ambition at once they therefore give up hope so doubtful and remote to search nearer to themselves for less lofty and more easy enjoyments their horizon is not bounded by the laws but narrowed by themselves i have remarked that lofty ambitions are more rare in the ages of democracy than in times of aristocracy i may add that when in spite of these natural obstacles they do spring into existence their character is different in aristocracies the career of ambition is often wide but its boundaries are determined in democracies ambition commonly ranges in a narrower field but if once it gets beyond that hardly any limits can be assigned to it as men are individually weak as they live asunder and in constant motion as precedents are of little authority and laws but of short duration resistance to novelty is languid and the fabric of society never appears perfectly erect or firmly consolidated so that when once an ambitious man has the power in his grasp there is nothing he may noted are and when it is gone from him he meditates the overthrow of the state to regain it this gives to great political ambition a character of revolutionary violence which it seldom exhibits to an equal degree in aristocratic communities the common aspect of democratic nations will present a great number of small and very rational objects of ambition from amongst which a few ill-controlled desires of a larger growth will at intervals break out but no such thing as ambition conceived and contrived on a vast scale is to be met with there i have shown elsewhere by what secret influence the principle of equality makes the passion for physical gratifications and the exclusive love of the present predominate in the human heart these different propensities mingle with the sentiment of ambition and tinge it as it were with their hues i believe that ambitious men in democracies are less engrossed than any others with the interests and the judgment of posterity the present moment alone engages and absorbs them they are more apt to complete a number of undertakings with rapidity than to raise lasting monuments of their achievements and they care much more for success than for fame what they most ask of men is obedience 
what they most covet is empire. Their manners have in almost all cases remained below the height of their station. The consequence is that they frequently carry very low tastes into their extraordinary fortunes, and that they seem to have acquired the supreme power only to minister to their coarse or paltry pleasures. I think that in our time it is very necessary to cleanse, to regulate, and to adapt the feeling of ambition, but that it would be extremely dangerous to seek to impoverish and to re repress it overmuch. We should attempt to lay down certain extreme limits, which it should never be allowed to outstep, but its range within those established limits should not be too much checked. I confess that I apprehend much less for democratic society from the boldness than from the mediocrity of desires. What appears to me most to be dreaded is that in the midst of the small incessant occupations of private life, ambition should lose its vigor and its greatness, that the passions of man should abate, but at the same time be lowered, so that the march of society should every day become more tranquil and less aspiring. I think then that the leaders of modern society would be wrong to seek to lull the community by a state of too uniform and too peaceful happiness, and that it is well to expose it from time to time to matters of difficulty and danger in order to raise ambition and to give it a field of action. Moralists are constantly complaining that the ruling vice of the present time is pride. This is true in one sense, for indeed no one thinks that he is not better than his neighbor, or consents to obey his superior, but it is extremely false in another, for the same man who cannot endure subordination or equality has so contemptible an opinion of himself that he thinks he is only born to indulge in vulgar pleasures. He willingly takes up with low desires, without daring to embark in lofty enterprises, of which he scarcely dreams. Thus, far from thinking that humility ought to be preached to our contemporaries, I would have endeavors made to give them a more enlarged idea of themselves and of their kind. Humility is unwholesome to them. What they most want is, in my opinion, pride. I would willingly exchange several of our small virtues for this one vice. Chapter 20. The Trade of Place-Hunting in Certain Democratic Countries In the United States, as soon as a man has acquired some education and pecuniary resources, he either endeavors to get rich by commerce or industry, or he buys land in the bush and turns pioneer. All that he asks of the state is not to be disturbed in his toil and to be secure of his earnings. Amongst the greatest part of European nations, when a man begins to feel his strength and to extend his desires, the first thing that occurs to him is to get some public employment. These opposite effects, originating in the same cause, deserve our passing notice. When public employments are few in number, ill-paid, and precarious, 
whilst the different lines of business are numerous and lucrative it is to business and not to official duties that the new and eager desires engendered by the principle of equality turn from every side but if whilst the ranks of society are becoming more equal the education of the people remains incomplete or their spirit the reverse of bold if commerce and industry checked in their growth afford only slow and arduous means of making a fortune the various members of the community despairing of ameliorating their own condition rush to the head of the state and demand its assistance to relieve their own necessities at the cost of the public treasury appears to them to be the easiest and most open if not the only way they have to rise above a condition which no longer contents them place hunting becomes the most generally followed of all trades this must be especially the case in those great centralized monarchies in which the number of paid offices is immense and the tenure of them tolerably secure so that no one despairs of obtaining a place and of enjoying it as undisturbedly as a hereditary fortune i shall not remark that the universal and inordinate desire for place is a great social evil that it destroys the spirit of independence in the citizen and diffuses a venal and servile humor throughout the frame of society that it stifles the manlier virtues nor shall i be at the pains to demonstrate that this kind of traffic only creates an unproductive activity which agitates the country without adding to its resources all these things are obvious but i would observe that a government which encourages this tendency risks its own tranquillity and places its very existence in great jeopardy i am aware that at a time like our own when the love and respect which formerly clung to authority are seen gradually to decline it may appear necessary to those in power to lay a closer hold on every man by his own interest and it may seem convenient to use his own passions to keep him in order and in silence but this cannot be so long and what may appear to be a source of strength for a certain time will assuredly become in the end a great cause of embarrassment and weakness amongst democratic nations as well as elsewhere the number of official appointments has in the end some limits but amongst those nations the number of aspirants is unlimited it perpetually increases with a gradual and irresistible rise in proportion as social conditions become more equal and is only checked by the limits of the population thus when in public employments afford the only outlet for ambition the government necessarily meets with a permanent opposition at last for it is tasked to satisfy with limited means unlimited desires it is very certain that of all people in the world the most difficult to restrain and to manage are a people of solicitants whatever endeavors are made by rulers such a people can never be contented 
and it is always to be apprehended that they will ultimately overturn the constitution of the country and change the aspect of the state for the sole purpose of making a clearance of places. The sovereigns of the present age who strive to fix upon themselves alone all those novel desires which are aroused by equality and to satisfy them will repent in the end if i am not mistaken that they ever embarked in this policy they will one day discover that they have hazarded their own power by making it so necessary and that the more safe and honest course would have been to teach their subjects the art of providing for themselves footnote a footnote a as a matter of fact more recent experience has shown that place hunting is quite as intense in the united states as in any country in europe it is regarded by the americans themselves as one of the great evils of their social condition and it powerfully affects their political institutions but the American who seeks a place seeks not so much a means of subsistence as the distinction which office and public employment confer. In the absence of any true aristocracy, the public service creates a spurious one which is as much an object of ambition as the distinctions of rank in arist aristocratic countries translator's note end of part 3 chapter 20 recording by peter kelleher eastport medway nova scotia